Welcome to the Condor Climbing Cast, episode 10. In this episode, I had the pleasure to talk to Tim Place. Tim has a very adventurous spirit and an uncanny ability to constantly push himself past perceived limitations. His wide-ranging gifts include music, production, ice climbing, ultra-endurance racing, rock climbing, programming, and teaching. I gained so many insights during this conversation, and I look forward to adventuring with Tim myself. Just a heads up, during this episode, the battery died in my interface. Luckily, Tim was able to rescue most of the audio, and we didn't lose too much. The audio gets cleaner about halfway through. Alright, let's hop into it. Enjoy! I did a juice cleanse a week. I finished it a week ago. How often do you? So, how often do you do like cleanses? This is the first one I ever did. How was it? It was amazing. <laughs> really? Yeah. What did you notice? Seven day juice cleanse. What did you notice was? Um, like well, what happened. I lost a ton of weight. That was nice. Do you think it was like water weight or what? Um, a lot of it was water weight, but you know what? I mean, I've kept a lot of it off, so I've like 15 pounds yeah. over the course of the week and I gained five of the back so it wasn't all water weight yeah huh um, I mean I had to go buy a new belt <laughs> well that's probably a good um, that's probably oh it was great so like the last time so I'm in the 160s now weight wise the last time I was in the 160s I was 18 years old. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I've never... I'm... So so that's awesome, but like my focus at work, yeah. like, my, like my focus was just on fire. I feel like I got my energy back. I, I've really struggled with my energy levels for the, for the last year. Really? Year plus. I, I mean, it's, been, energy... it's been a hard year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's kind of like... I have like this consistent, like smooth energy and focus. That's and great. It's like, I just felt happy, like happier than I felt in years. Like that's awesome. Yeah. What exactly did you do? Like, did you follow something? Or did you just... I I um because I have so much going on. Like yeah. this place. Like I just moved back in here like three weeks ago. Less than three weeks ago, and it was just like a disaster. I was yeah. moving and additional disaster. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I didn't have time. So I just, I went to Ruby Jeans. Oh, and, nice. And like, they were just like, they, they had like a program. They're like, oh, they have a program there? I mean, it's basically, it's, it's like you can choose how many days you want to do it, and they'll like get you set up. That's great. And make all your juices for you, and it costs a ton of money. But, um, but it was worth it. I mean, it was like, if it had that, I feel like like I felt like profound, like really results from it. What did you eat during it? Did you switch your diet? I mean, during the juice cleanse, I really just had juice 
That would be hard. That would be a wow. hard thing for me because, um, like, I want to do it, but like a lot of my teaching is like pretty. Accurate. Yeah. So like, I I would occasionally like have like an avocado if I needed to like. So you have like emergency supplement. Fats, right? If I needed a supplement, I could do an avocado. Okay. <laughs> nice. Um, and it was it was hard the first couple days but once i got over day three then like it was like the rest of the week was that's kind of the same thing the three days is kind of the same thing with uh uh when i take people outside whether it be climbing or just in the nature like by day three they're, they're like good yeah but it takes like three days you gotta get over that hump so maybe that's just like the three days is like the the universal hump for like <laughs> getting used to something. I don't know. I got Jesus out of the grave. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> three days. Yeah. So I think three days is the <laughs> magic number. <laughs> I want to, I'm curious about how long have you been climbing? When did you start? I'm climbing about six years. So you I started, started late. You started late. Yeah. 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 We went on a, um, so my daughter, Annika, who you know, yes, we did a uh, daddy-daughter date. Nice. Went and saw Cloudy with a chance to meet Bells too. I've heard that's a classic. And uh, yeah, went out for pizza and then went to Monster Mountain. Nice. Monster, so Monster Mountain was the first one? For both of us. Sweet. So that's sweet. Yeah. yeah. Climbing is like... I mean, one of the things that's special about it for me is that, like, bond that I have with my kids. Yeah. Because I started with them. Yeah, that's cool. So it's like when I talk to um, friends that have been climbing a lot longer, it's like their kids might not be into it. And it's like the kids decided, like, oh, yeah, climbing, that's dad's thing. Yeah. But, like, if you ask Annika, it's like it's not dad's thing. It's, it's our thing. Right. So You both like to do it. We both like to do it. We both start it together. Which is so nice, too, because, like, it seems like a lot of the trips you take are with your kids. Or at least, like, yeah. at least because Annika's a little older and she can climb a little bit more. So she's with you on a lot of trips, which is really cool. Yeah, now she can belay me. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Do you guys have an ohm? So I just got an ohm. Sweet. Because I had been like tying her to a tree yeah. or rock or which something. Which is like the ghetto know? ohm. Which um, which works. I mean, yeah. if you're climbing multi-pitch, you're tied to an anchor right. anyway. So it's not really like... So it's similar. It's not really any different, but... Yeah. I've had... That's been a huge... The ohm has been a huge difference for me in um, coaching inside. Because uh, it just seems like I'm really light. I didn't know I was so light, and I just get launched by a lot of the people I coach. <laughs> yeah. And I was tired of slamming into some of the people I coach. So. Right. It's a big difference, though. I like using it. Yeah. So Annika and I right now are like, we're only like 55 pounds apart from each other. So. Yeah. That's not crazy. So that sounds crazy. crazy. How has it been um, having her like kind of catch up as far as climbing goes? Catch up. I mean, she has passed me. She yeah. Is, so she, but that process, how was that cool to see? I mean, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it's like she's, I mean, she's 13 now, but she was 12 when she got that. Uh, there's a 512C at the gym that she'd been like 
projecting for a month and mm-hmm. see her lead that 512C. Like, is it like 12 year old? It's like, wait, 12 years old, 512. Like, what? What's going on? Like, that's really cool. I, I led a 512A once. Like, it's like, once though, I mean, like, it wasn't a 12C. And like, I mean, she's like, she's definitely like past me. That's really uh, cool. in some ways. Yeah. I mean, there's other ways, not so much. So. Right. Just like the ability. It's cool that you guys can go out now too and climb similar terrain, probably. Right. Um, I mean, there, there's obviously things that she can't do. Right. Um, there are things that I feel like she's not ready for. Like yeah. She's, I'm not ready to have her lead a multi pitch and belay me from the top and yeah. all that. Um, I'm, she's not doing trad. <laughs> so. There's, there's things she's not doing ice climbing yet yeah but um yeah what what is that about with ice climbing how did you like what was the what was the transition how did you get into it so ice climbing's where it started really yeah um so i'm an ultra endurance athlete and i do these like mega long bike races i mean i, I started out just like i needed to get healthier so i started biking and then I'm not very good at moderation. So and then you're like, I, I went into almost. bike races and then I noticed my first year of bike racing, I was just racing everything I could. Yeah. It was like criterium races, which is like, you're like going and doing like 45 minutes around a one mile loop. Like, okay. you know, like going in circles. <laughs> that was not my calling. Yeah. Lots of ways. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like the bouldering of climbing. In some ways, right? It is all about short, bursty yeah. power. Yeah. Um, which is, turns out, not my strength. Yeah. Um, and it's not very adventurous. I mean, right. bouldering can be, depending on where you're going. But um, criteriums like, generally are not. Talking to you, it seems like you're more, like, epic, like, epic stuff. Yeah, what I learned that first year of bike racing was the longer the race, the better I did. <laughs> and so... Um, the second year I was out bike racing, I think it's the second year, um, I signed up for a 200-mile race on gravel. What was that one it's called? Dirty Kansas. Yes. Out of Emporia, Kansas. And, uh, and it's, it's a big race. Um, hundreds and thousands of people start on the start line. Uh, and it's long. It's hard. It's like 12,000 feet of climbing. Oh, um, and I went out and in my first time doing that distance, um, I placed 19th overall. Whoa. And that was with four flat tires. And <laughs> like I had all kinds of other mishaps. Is that pretty common to like, so, for people's like for people to have a lot of flats and like, do you do everything yourself or do you do everything? Yeah. You do all that stuff yourself. Um, you have, there's, um, three checkpoints. So you mm-hmm. like, uh, get to stop every 50 miles or so okay. to like restock. Gotcha. Get pick up more uh, spare tubes from your (laughs) from your friend that's waiting for you. Um, So yeah, so I went back the next year, and the next year um, the race was bigger, bigger field, like all these things, uh, and I got nineteenth overall again. Uh, like 800 starters or something like that. Yeah, I mean it was like the long super endurance things. I was good at. Yeah. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, I mean, I don't. I don't know for sure. I mean, you can read things that that spout off all kinds of 
Yeah, but how, you don't what know do how you feel? Why do like, you... I mean, like some people are just more, I think, genetically tuned to different things. Yeah. So you would like, you're the guy that would like run the prey down over like 20 miles. Yeah. I mean, like the, yeah, I mean, that'd be the problem. Like if I got, I do a little bit of running as cross training. Yeah. Um, like on days I don't have much time, I can go out for a run. Yeah. I try to run on days I go climbing. Right. Um, but if I actually got into running, it would be a problem because like I go straight for the hundred mile yeah. events, you know, I have never done a marathon, <laughs> but like I wouldn't be interested in a marathon. It'd be too short. Right. It's like, that's a four hour effort. And you're uh, looking for more like I'm looking like, I mean the, the dirty Kansas, uh, I mean, that's like a, a 12 to 14 hour effort um, for me. Yeah. For other people, it's, you know, different, but, um, do you this past year I did a 350 mile version that that was a little different but yeah that took me 33 hours oh how'd that one go it went great um it was um I didn't train this year it's been a hard year yeah so so I had like one week where I did two training rides um that was about it so like you're not supposed to do stuff like that just off the couch yeah, I could, <laughs> I could like imagine. Um, yeah, I mean, every, everybody thought I was nuts. And no, I mean, everybody I talked to, they, they were genuinely surprised that I finished. Were they like a little bit worried when you started? Um, Is that why they were surprised? I don't know if worried is the right word. They, they just thought it was concerned. It was just kind of like, okay, um, I was doing this, but it's not like. It's not by the book. Well, it's definitely not by the book. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not buy that book. Yeah. But also, like, I don't bail on things, typically. It's I mean, good. typically, I bailed once on a climbing trip. Yeah. Because I was in the hospital. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, I had this um, ultra-endurance thing going, and uh, I had a conversation. There's a, a German cyclist semi-pro or pro cyclist her name's Monica Sattler mm-hmm. I rode with her for a while at the gravel world championship uh, a few years ago and uh, around the 100 mile mark or so it was so hot I drank 14 liters of water that day I only peed once Whoa. but um, she was going on about all these different books she's been reading which was cool because I like reading books and she um, she mentioned that she really liked reading books by Ed Beasters I don't know who that is. And she's like, he was the first American to summit all 14 of the 8,000 meter peaks. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, She's like, yeah, because that's ultra endurance, like to an extreme to do that stuff, especially without oxygen, because he did them all without supplemental oxygen. So I was like, huh. So I'll go read those books. I grew up going on vacation in the mountains. I would love the mountains. I injured my knee when I was in my twenties and like gave up the idea that I could ever like go up in the mountains and do anything again. You kind of feel at home. So absolutely. Um, so anyway, I read a couple of his books and he's like talking about helping design stuff. Cause he was a sponsored athlete for mountain hardware. And I was like, you know, my tent's falling apart. It's 20 years old. I'll just follow mountain hardware on Facebook. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Um, 
And the first thing that shows up in my Facebook feed from them is this video of um, Dawn Glantz ice climbing in Iceland. And it just blew my mind. I didn't know ice climbing was a thing. Yeah. You don't, I feel like you don't see it as much. Like it's not as popularized or it's not as popular as the other disciplines. I mean, and even just six or seven years ago, like it was even less. Yeah. Um, and it blew my mind. I was like, what? That's a thing? That's so amazing. <laughs> I want to do that. And like, that was the reason I decided to take on a Kuda Monster Mountain that night. It's because I was like, if I can go climb frozen icicles yeah. <laughs> in other countries or whatever, I want it. I want that. Yeah. So that inspired me. That's kind of where it started. That's where it started. What was like the first? So ice climbing was where it started. So then I signed up at Ibex, you know, to like for a couple months. Well, actually before I even started Ibex, it was like after the Monster Mountain thing, it was like I went. I plopped down a bunch of money for um, the San Juan Mountain Guides to do like four days of ice climbing nice. for New Year's. Nice. And uh, yeah, and then I went to start going to Ibex. I was like, I need to start like figuring out some climbing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> nice. um, but I really treated that like the climbing in the gym was just like as a training to get me ready to climb outdoors on ice. Yeah. That's that's kind of uh, that's kind of how I started too. Was was uh, climbing in the gym because I was excited about climbing outside, and I think it's been interesting, like slowly making the transition into like trying to get other people excited about training in the gym in order to climb outside, um, because it, there is potential now where you can just climb in the gym if you want to. And that's it. Right. But that wasn't. And it sounds like that wasn't why you climbed in the gym either. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like people that do cycling. I mean, there's people that'll, that are happy to do spin classes, and like hard spin classes, like the kind where you have to have a bucket to puke in next to your bike. Like, and like you can get a workout, but like that's not the goal for me, cycling. Like, I want to get outside. I want to be in the elements. And right. Like, have, like, find that, like, meditative flow state yeah. out on a lonely dirt road. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the, the, not alone, but the, that element is, like, really important. Just, like, the serenity of being surrounded by nature and all you can hear is, like, your breath. Right. And then maybe some other stuff every once in a while around you. Yeah, <laughs> the water dripping behind yeah. the ice. Well, yeah, that's cool. What was like, have you had like an epic yet that was like kind of uh, not necessarily sketchy, but have you had like an epic ice climb yet? I had an epic on an ice climb. Um, so ice climbing is not rock climbing. I mean, might be obvious, but uh, people get into trouble when they think it's the same. And we see YouTube videos of people doing sketchy stuff ice climbing, they're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, you can't take risks. Like you don't, rock climbing, like a lot of times, um, if you're doing a sport lead, climbing deep into the pump, like sometimes that's the point. Yeah. You do not climb deep into a pump like that, ice climbing. 
Yeah. If the if the pump's starting to come on, you stop. You put in a nice screw. You rest. You swing your arm. You do whatever you have to do. You do not climb deep into a pump because you're not going to put yourself in a situation where something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Um, if you walk up to it and you see there's all these hanging daggers over the climb and you know that like the temperature's a little warm and the sun's about to come out, you don't climb that. <laughs> I mean. People do that stuff and then they get on the weekend whipper or whatever and they look like morons. But, uh, but that's all, that stuff going wrong is all decision making ultimately. And so I, I think a real conservative approach to my decision making. Yeah. Ice climbing. Which is, seems very important. It is very important. Yeah, I mean, you can make ice climbing as dangerous as you want to make it. Mm-hmm. That's really not necessary. Yeah. Most of the time, no. What a, so, what, yeah. No epics ice climbing. Okay. What, um, that's interesting. I, because I picture, I didn't really know that, um, so you, you really hardly fall, like, ice climbing. Um, I fell once on top rope. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, you, you are not allowed to fall. There's uh, three rules for uh, leading ice, which is don't fall. Uh, the second rule is don't fall. The third rule is if you failed the first two rules, don't hit the ground. <laughs> so, I mean, that basically means, you know, make sure you know where your ice screws are going. Um, an ice screw will totally catch you. They're, they're, they kind of freak people out when you're not used to it. They will totally catch you. I mean, they'll catch a car. Yeah. Um, they're super strong. But um, they won't prevent you from getting injured. If you're flying through the air with pointy things sticking out of your feet and pointy things in your hands. And yeah. I mean, you're probably going to, I mean, those can either impale you or they can um, twist when they like, like how are you going to land a ball perfectly when you have all these spikes sticking out of your feet and you're going to catch on everything. Right. They're going to they're gonna twist your ankle or snap your ankle or something. Right. So yeah, so you're not, you don't fall. <laughs> so that's just not So right. like leading, I mean, I think the usual recommendation is like before you even think about leading, you're gonna do at least 100 laps on top row. Wow, on like a specific climb. I'm not on a specific climb, but just like in general, yeah. you need some mileage on you. You need to be able to read the ice. You be able to, need to be able to look at a piece of ice and listen to a piece of ice and look at the conditions and know, like, is this ice going to fracture or is it not going to fracture? Yeah. And be close to, like, beyond the reasonable doubt about it. Like, you got oh, it. yeah. Yeah. Hopefully way beyond the reasonable doubt. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what got you in? So you started ice. Mm, yeah. And then you've been, you've multi-pitch climbed quite a bit. Yeah. You? Yeah, I mean, on that first four days, the fourth day, we did a multi-pitch ice climb. Okay, Eureka wow. Canyon in Colorado. How was that? Incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, um, yeah, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Wow. Multi-pitch ice is just incredible. What is, yeah, how does that whole system work with uh, multi-pitch on ice? I mean, it's like trad climbing. It's just that your pro is going to be ice screws. Right. Camps. Actually, the, um, 
the multi-pitch I did in that case, the belays were bolted. So it's like you, you climb up. It's a, a route that gets a lot of traffic. Yeah. Um, called Gold Rush. And uh, you go up in the first belay, uh, there's this big outcrop of rock that sticks up above where the water flow is. So mm -hmm. it's a bit sticking up above the ice. And you, wow. you have to like, dig through the snow a little bit to find the bolts under the snow. But there's bolts under the snow. Right. So that makes and, it a little uh, bit easier since it's high traffic. Yeah, and then like the second belay is up in this cave that's up off the side. Um, right. Some climbs there will be trees that are like just like right on the side, so you like climb the ice and then like traverse over a little bit. Yeah. And use big old trees for your anchor. Nice. When did you when did you transition from um, ice climbing to like climbing on rock and then like multi pitch climbing on rock? Because I know. You, you do some of that, don't you? Yeah, so I did that ice climbing course, um, which was like New Year's-ish. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, part of what we did in that was learning anchor building. So, so, that, so like, I mean, I was able to come back to Kansas City and build the top rope anchor and click drive. Yeah. Like, that wasn't a problem. Yeah. Know? So then I was able to start getting getting it on the uh, rocket cliff drive and uh <laughs> i think uh, cliff drive is like a good place to cut your teeth because it's like it's kind of slick it's kind of okay. scary it's like honestly those two things slick and scary it's like if you can get pretty good it's slick and scary and there's you know there's all those uh, moderate routes now that uh, dakota put up a few years ago mm -hmm. those four routes on that area to the left of the overhang. Those weren't there. Yeah. At the time. It was really just the overhang. So, so it was like there was the overhang, there was the big crack, and the, that left knee or whatever it is just to the left of the big crack. And yeah. then there was like that little book feature from like off to the right of the overhang. Mm. Which, is like, which is like yeah, that thing is like climbing a piece of soap. <laughs> it's crazy. Um <laughs> Uh, but that spring, so that, I mean, just a couple months after that, um, I went out to Red Rocks and got some instruction from a guy who did four days of like trad climbing. So you learning systems. I mean, it's like um, I'm used to learning with formal instruction. I went to school for a doctorate yeah. in music, so it's like I'm used to the idea like you pay a professional to learn stuff in a like very rigorous way yeah so I learned all that stuff like doing it that way rather than just like trying to pick things up from people right um, and that if nothing else that gave me the confidence that I knew what I was doing right I mean that is important especially because you know if you learn from a friend even if they are very skilled like how many times have they taught this like there's a lot of gray there but with a guy that's like that's what they do. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's both the um, how much knowledge do they have, and there's also how well can they communicate that knowledge. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you go with a guide, and it's like, okay, we're going to, like, show up to this ledge, and we, we need to, like, clove ourselves in, but we have to do it one-handed. Like, how do you do that? And teaching a one-handed clove hitch not everybody gets it the same way. So like if you're with somebody that's doing this and teaching it all the time, like, okay, there's six different ways I can show you yeah. 
different tricks for tying this one-handed cloth in. So you can find, so, the, so way you can find the way that works for you. Yeah, which is incredibly important. Because like even with like, even with teaching somebody like top rope belay and tying in, like with a three-trace figure eight, there's a lot of different ways you can teach that. Yeah. And for some people, their eyes will glaze over for most of the way. And then you show them one way, and they're like, that makes sense. Cool. Got it. Right. There's just so many ways you can do it. Mm -hmm. um, do you keep Do you keep doing that with guides? Have you continued to do that as you progress? Uh, I have some, particularly with the ice climbing. Uh, ice climbing is really technique-oriented. Mm -hmm. And then especially when you move from ice climbing into mixed climbing, so mixed climbing is you you have ice and you have rock mm -hmm. on the same route. Yeah. So you're gonna have your tools, your ice tools, and your crampons on your feet. What do you do? You climb with crampons on the rock? Yes. That seems awkward. It's incredible. Um, it can be, but I mean, you can once you uh, have your balance. If you've got the core strength for it, you can put your crampon point on a little like dime edge and put your ice tools on a little dime width edge and if you can keep your elbow into the rock and get if your techniques good and your core is good you can pull up on that stuff yeah you don't want to go skittering off yeah but you can pull up on that stuff and uh if there's cracks you i mean there's all kinds of stuff you can do with slipping your tools into cracks yeah and uh, putting your crampons in little pockets. So is that, is that what you learn technique-wise, where it's just what to look for? Or where do they kind of... Well, there's, there's what to look for, but um, especially with mixed climbing, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of, like, body awareness you have to have and balance. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and body, not just body awareness, but like body control. Like stability. Yeah. Walk off, like you said, in the course. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like you have a, it's hard to describe just with words, but if you, if you just like some little crack up high and you're able to extend and get your ice tool reached way up in there and filled in there, and then you need to pull up on that. You can't just pull out on your ice tool or the tool's going to come out. So you have to keep your elbow down. And, and perfectly still while the rest of your body is moving around. So it's, it reminds me of like, yeah, tech, from technical climbing, if you have like a very small foot chip, you have to keep your toe kind of in the same position while you keep weight on it, even if your body is twisting or moving. Yeah, and that's even more true. If you have crampons, so crampons can have two points or they can have one point mm -hmm. in the front sticking out. And especially if you have the crampons with two points, if you like, if your legs twist, one of those points is going to come off the rock. <laughs> so you can't, yeah. You have to keep everything like locked in place. It's really good. It's, it really helps the rock climbing a lot too. And mixed climbing, I mean, it's like you're doing whatever you can to get up the rock. So you might you might throw your ice tool over your shoulder and reach up for a hand jam. Okay. And pull up a hand jam. So if that is so, that's super interesting. So you, it really is like very combined. Like you could be throwing your ice tool back, getting a hand jam, getting through a section, taking your ice tools back out because you're back on like yeah. a section of ice. And you get pumped out of your brain. 
Because <laughs> a lot of times with the way a mixed climb works is that you have to bear rock where it's overhung. Ice didn't adhere there. So you do this overhung section and then you have to get and then you get up to where the ice is coming off the rock. And you have to pull onto the ice, which is basically like pulling up on over a roof. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's have you know have you been intense. Hold more towards when you do sport climb. Do you like overhung type climbs because of that? Um, I'm not sure if there's a causation relationship. So I don't want to say because, but uh, I really enjoy three dimensional climbs. Mm. So, like in this case, like I just described, you're going up the rock. You have the ice is probably like coming down behind you. And you have to like maybe turn around and stem between the one foot on the rock, one foot on the ice, while you're trying to figure out how to get your tool in up over the roof mm -hmm. so you can swing out around the ice. That three-dimensional aspect, I really like three-dimensional climbing. Hmm. Uh, there's a 5-7 route down in uh, Sam's Throne in Arkansas that I love um, called Slam Dance mm -hmm. because it's, uh, you go up, you have like 15 feet of this like perfect corner hand crack, like it could be a Indian Creek or something for the first 10 or 15 feet. Wow. It's amazing. And then you're on this ledge, you have this little bit of like face climbing, and then you're into this um, chimney, and then you have to transition, and you have to step across the chimney, and then you have to twist around and go up and pull over this little like creepy thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, it's just fun. It's like adventure climbing. It's adventure climbing, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's only five seconds. Yeah. So you, so it's like, but you bring people on it and they freak out because there's all these styles of climbing that they're not used to. Yeah. So like all that variety and, um, and all that three-dimensionality to it. I guess I, I agree too with like the three dimensions because some of my favorite climbs have been climbs that like start slab into a roof, into a face, like just have a lot of like, have like a lot of dimensions to it because it feels more adventurous when you're having to like switch your style up consistently. Yeah. Well, and also there's an immersive aspect to it. Yeah. So because you're it's like because it's like you're in this if you're in the climb, like not on it. I really had this feeling this past winter I climbed Bridaldale Falls outside of um, Telluride. Yeah. Just an incredible climb. Um, incredible place too. Incredible place. Um, that climb I've had my eyes on since I started ice climbing wasn't really ready for it until this year. Yeah. And I mean, maybe, maybe I was, I don't know. It, it was considered the hardest ice climb in the world for a long time. So Holy it's, crap. it's not an easy climb. No. Uh, it's overhung, which is unusual for ice climbs, but it's very three-dimensional. You, you were in spots where it's like, you felt like you were like in a closet, like you're climbing oh. up. You have ice behind you, and ice on both sides of you, and ice in front of you, and the ice in front of you is clear, and you can see water running behind it from the waterfall, and you can't tell how thick the ice is. Um, <laughs> turns out it's quite thick. Um, well, it's clear, so it's, it's clear. It's hard to tell. I'm looking at there's this one spot. It's like okay, I have a good resting spot here. I'm like stemmed out. I'm on these two little um, cauliflower features. Uh -huh. um, we call them cauliflowers in ice climbing. They, I mean, it looks like a cauliflower, basically. Like, there's, like, this stem of ice below, and then it, like, mushrooms out on top. You know what causes that? Uh, it's just the way that the uh, water, like, 
water spray uh, will land on top of what's already there and then freeze. Mm -hmm. And then like that top is like a little bit wider. So the next time there's a water spray that sprays on top of there and freezes, it's like a little bit wider and it gets wider and wider. Mm -hmm. So Bridal Falls is full of these. So you're constantly having them. And pulling them is like you're pulling roofs again and again and again. Yeah. Uh, which is, it's like hard, like, it's like, okay, I have like two really, really hard moves to do to get on top of this thing, but then you're on top of it. And you can yeah. <laughs> so there's like a defined uh, crux uh, on it. On this climb, it wasn't. The mm -hmm. first two pitches were both like WI5 plus. Um, can you talk about the rating scale? Oh yeah, it has its own rating scale. So water ice, WI, the water ice, okay. and then there's a number. And mixed climbs have a similar thing where it's an M and then a number. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you have a climb that's M6, like, it's pretty freaking hard. Yeah. At least, you know, for your mortals, <laughs> like myself. Uh, so water ice, yeah, water ice, I don't even know what water ice one is, uh, but water ice two is going to be like a cap burning ramp. Mm -hmm. More or less, so lots of footwork, like your feet are driving the movement for the most part. I mean, it's like a really slab. So it's like the like it's basically just like slick. It'd be like, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it'd be the equivalent of like the second flat iron or something. Okay, okay, you know, yeah, like a like lot, like people pe water ice two people aren't. Once you're experienced, you're probably like, not so fun for it. Okay. Um, the uh, water ice three is like getting legit. <laughs> water ice four is really hard. Five, and then it goes up. So six is really the hardest. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, someone will post a new route up somewhere, like Banff or wherever, and they'll they'll post a route and it'll say, "Well, this is a WI seven." Um, but Anytime one of those climbs gets a second ascent, the joke is anytime one of those climbs is repeated, gets a second ascent, it gets downgraded to WI6. So that really WI6 is the top. That, I feel like that is pretty common uh, when you're pushing the envelope is like, it's really hard to tell when it is the next level. Yeah. Because that happens, I mean, that happens in sport climbing and bouldering too. Yeah, so, yeah. So WI6 is the top. Bright of Elf Falls is like a, five plus or six minus. So it depends on the year. It comes in a little differently every year. How did you get ready for it? Of um, there's a lot of mental prep. <laughs> and there's a lot of like knowing your technique. And, you know, so I've been doing that stuff for years. Mm. Um, in terms of training, the best training you do for ice climbing is really just deadheading. So like I go to the climbing gym and now I'll probably start soon, like right now it's August. Mm -hmm. and I don't know when I'm going to go find this winter, but soon I will start doing den hangs after every climbing session. And then like maybe like um, a half walk off hang and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so getting closer to time, there's more you can do. Mm -hmm. um, there's great, um, Steve House has really great resources on this, mm -hmm. um, both on his website. Um, Blanking at the name of that website right now. Steve House. Steve House. You look up Steve, Steve House and Scott. Um, 
Anyway, they, like the guys that wrote the uh, training for Alpine Climbing book. It's House H A U S. H O. No man. Training for the uh, training for the new alpinism book. Okay, Scott Johnson. Scott Johnson, that's it. Um, there's great stuff in this book. There's great stuff on their website. So if you're about to get into it, so I mean, yeah, there's all, all kinds of stuff. So you can you can um, the climbing gym. If I do this, I, I wrap the picks in like a sock and some tape so they don't damage anything. But like hook them on the pull up bar mm. and then do. Put your ice tool up there, pull up on the ice tool with both hands, then stay locked off and let go with one hand. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, you it's know, like lock, lock off training. Yeah, lock off training, but it's a, it's, um, you know, your hands are oriented differently when you're on the ice tool. And you're gripping something and you're, instead of and the you're, bar. Yeah, you're gripping something instead of the bar. And also, like ice climbing, the goal is that you don't want it to have a death grip on your tools. Can you talk about so, the screaming bar piece? So I can, yeah, I can talk about the screaming barbies. If you have a death grip on your tool, you'll get the screaming barbies for sure. Um, so anyway, you want to hang, you can hang kind of on just on your pinky on those tools and try to have an open hand. Yeah. Yeah, so screaming barbies, if you're death gripping your tool door, it's just cold. Um, basically, you like the blood drains out of your hand. You don't get any circulation. And when the blood comes back, it's not pleasant. Not you, pleasant is an understatement. Yeah. I mean, most people scream or they barf or both. And um, and so when I did bridal belt balls this past year, I got screaming barfies. On, oh, you did? Uh, on the, uh, the approach pitch. So there's three proper pitches. And then there's like this little like, there's this awkwardness <laughs> of technical climbing at the beginning. Yeah, it was below zero. And, um, and I was wearing my really thick gloves, and it's hard not to overgrip your tools when you have the really thick gloves on because you can't feel through all that thickness to the tools. Yeah. Um, you really want to be able to feel what you're doing. Like if you're doing a technical thing, especially mixed climbing, you're going to wear like bike gloves or something, like something super thin. Yeah. And then it's just switched to the thick gloves in your leg. But it was so cold out climbing with my heavy gloves. And, um, yeah. What was that it was, it, I mean, you know, it's just like, you're just like, you're, you're like dancing around. Like you can't stand still. Like you're dancing around because you're like, you're hurt so much. Like you just like, you're trying to like escape your body. What, what, <laughs> <laughs> what pain could you like compare that to? Just so people can like picture what it feels like. Probably like the pain. It's probably similar to like, if you like, took your hand and just put it on a hot burner on your stove. Yeah. And held it there. <laughs> <laughs> and then like slowly turn the stove down as you held it there. Yeah. Over time. Uh, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, eventually it passes. And, uh, I'm not sure if this is true or not. I've heard people say that um, at least with screaming barfies, you only get them once a day. Oh. And Why is my that? experience, so I've only had screaming barfies twice. Uh -huh. Both times it was below zero. I don't usually find it below zero because but um, both times I have, I only have them once. Yeah. And if I, on that climb, if I was only going to have them once, I might as well have them on the, on the easy climb. Yeah. 
So why do you think why do you think the only why do you think that is? Like your system just like adapts? No idea. Because I think that's like my first like when I'm sport climbing, the first initial pump is like it I can't work through that. I like have to get it and then like sit with it or like let it rest off and then I feel like I can work through being more pumped after that oh, first one of the day. Because I feel like if and my worry when I had screaming barbies at the very beginning of that line was that if I get flash pumped at the beginning of the day, yeah. I can be hosed for four or five hours. Yeah, I think flash pumped is a little different. Like flash pump definitely for me is a thing. Like I've had it before. But I think like working up to it and just getting a little pumped and then like resting it off. Okay. That for me, especially like with athletes, like when we'd be like warming up for like a sport pump, I would always take them through a circuit so they could navigate what that pump feeling is oh. like. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like yeah. when I was racing the Criterion bike races, it's like when you warm up for that on a trainer, it's like you've got to get your heart rate up. You've got to get everything going before you like walk to the start line. Yeah. Like if the first yeah. The first time you get your heart rate up over one eighty, it hurts. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't function properly. So like you need to do that in your warm up. So that when your heart rate's up over one eighty in the race, it's like, okay, I can deal with this. I think that's honestly like a good thing for people to apply just across the board. Like if you're training for something hard and and like you're gonna have like a a day where you perform, you need to warm up like as close as the to the performance as you can, right? But like not go all the way there and back off a bit. That's hard to do with multi pitch ice. That's true. How? What, what is the best way to do that? I mean, usually, I mean, I mean, you're hiking typically through the snow, and usually, like it's I mean, you, usually, I mean, you get your your heart going. You get your legs going. You don't really get your arms going. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you show up, I mean, usually you're going to some frozen waterfall. It's not like you've got options. <laughs> so could I mean, you like start I mean, at the bottom and like do pull-ups or something? I've never seen anyone do that. But wouldn't that make sense, like to get your arms like going before you start? So, <laughs> but I've I've never done it. I've never seen anyone do it. I've never heard anybody talk about doing that. Because for me, it's like if I think about sport climbing, like pe people are getting a lot more comfortable because there's there's like hangboards coming out that you can put the rope on your foot and then pull on like a crimp and get your hands warmed up before you start. So I'm picturing like an ice climber, like starting at the bottom if there's ice and like practicing a few lock-offs and like getting ready to go, just shaking that off a bit and then getting started. Huh. Usually show up and climb. Yeah. And because I'm deciding to climb things that I know are in my, if I'm leading, like it's going to be something in my ability level. Right. Because um, that's, I've, I've had to do warm-ups like that now because oftentimes I won't be able to find holds that will warm my fingers up. 
like my body's warm, but my fingers aren't warm enough for the right. project I want to work. So fingers are tough because the, uh, that extremity doesn't get blood flow like other parts of your body. A lot of, it feels a lot harder to get blood. So flow. it's yeah, and so ice climbing finger. I mean, finger strength isn't really a thing. So it's, is it more grip uh, than fingers? If you're doing it right, it shouldn't even be grip. Like what? you should. I mean, you should be able to like, like hang on to a tool with a pretty open hand. So what muscles so are most? It's really. It's, I mean, it's it's like working like the. I don't know the names of all these muscles, but I mean like. Your wrist, your elbow, your like side of your forearm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I mean it's like a lot of like arm stuff. Okay. Shoulders. And a lot of just like your stabilizers. Yeah, I guess so. Working a lot. I guess so. Um, so interesting. I mean, when you're swinging, you're doing a lot of swinging, but like you kind of get that as you go. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of times you have easier pitches before you get to the crux. So, like, you're warmed up when you get to the crux. That's not always true. A lot, there are also a lot of climbs where the crux is the first pitch. Yeah. Because the, if there's a water coming down a mountain, it's like the water is, like, coming down some, like, lower angle stuff. And then, like, toward the bottom, it, like, clips out and gets better. steep stuff. So, like, um, there's one just outside of um, Ure, Colorado. Where there's like a big overlook, you can see it from the road. It's, it's kind of cool. Horse Tail Falls. I've heard of that. And uh, we almost went. We almost like visited Horse Tail Falls when I was there. Um, we it last year. In the summer, or in the winter. Summer. Yeah. Uh, so that one, the crux is at the bottom. Mm -hmm. The first pitch is the crux. So like you, you, you hike in there, and, you and it's like, all right, it's showtime. Just for me, will you try the? The next time that happens, try the bottom warm up and see if it helps. <laughs> I'd be so curious. Oh man, it would have been miserable. So it was very warm when I climbed it. It was like forty degrees, and the sun was on it. Yeah. When I climbed it, is that? And so it was like if I was doing pull ups on the ice, I would have gotten so. So like I don't know if I would have done that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to. I'm curious when you're on like these long adventure bikes or when you're uh, when you're climbing like these multi-pitch ice climbs, what is your what is your mental chatter like? And how do you calm your chatter and what is that experience like? Uh, so that's gotten a lot better. Like I mean it, it used to be I mean, if you get into, I would get like a song in my head or something, you know, it would get me through, like, or to like just like keep my momentum going. That's that will still happen, but like, Fine, if, but, no if I was getting, but if I was getting freaked out, like, you know, yeah, I didn't didn't used to have that under control, right? At all, the wheels would just come off. I try to like, I would sometimes maybe try to find a song mm -hmm. that I could lean into or something, um, but it, it didn't always work. But I started doing uh, yoga with Essie mm -hmm. at uh, ROKC on Mondays. Do you hear her in your head? Yeah, I do. Uh, That's awesome. So, I mean, now that those classes are included in the membership, so it's um, there's a bazillion people in them. But at the, when you used to have to pay extra to do it, there weren't very many people. There'd be just a few of us in there. And I feel like we did a lot more breath work. Mm -hmm. 
and also just like kind of meditation type stuff. And that breath work and meditation is helping immensely. And so like hearing, um, in, um, there's a bike race on the land run in Oklahoma where I like, I had like, I could just hear as he being like, breathe, like, like doing my breathing and like just like hearing her being like, and you feel the air in your lungs push up against your inner organs. It's so good for your nervous system. And like, as soon as like I heard that voice of her in my head, like it was just kind of like everything kind of like went to jello like inside me and I loosened up and I felt my shoulders drop and it was like, oh, you kind of like dropped into the experience. And yeah, and then it was, and then it was like, and then I like looked down at my, my little Garmin unit and my heart rate dropped like 10 beats a minute. Whoa. And I'm like going the same heart. I'm going just as hard and I'm going just as fast, but like my heart rate just dropped 10 beats a minute. Yeah. So uh, I've, I definitely had Essie's voice in my head telling me to breathe, reminding me to breathe when I um, climb Bridal Bell Falls. So you can kind of stay calm. Keep the Staying calm. I mean, that, that climb was really, 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 really hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, it really sustained. Yeah. And um, it hard in lots of different ways. So. Is that the one that you had that, like, pretty profound experience on? No. So I had um, the first multi-pitch I ever did, which was the nice time called Rush. I did have like a thing of like a, I don't know, language is not good. It was like a mystical experience or whatever, where all of a sudden it was like I melted away and I was like in the climb and the climb was in me and it was like I could just see light and water and breath. And oh it, was, it was incredible, and um, I'd never had anything like that before. And so um, I actually was, with the Bridalville Falls experience, I was actually sort of chasing uh, that again. Isn't that interesting uh, how it's like once you are aware of it, it's like it like can't happen almost? Yeah, so it, it didn't happen. Um, the climb was incredible in so many other ways, and so I don't feel like I was like lost something by not having that experience where I realized afterwards it was like yeah that that experience like it has to um, come to me when I'm ready I can't force something like that to happen it's like when you try to force yourself to sleep same thing with like, like you can't get to sleep when you're trying to force yourself to sleep yeah we talked about this a little bit like when you if you're forcing yourself to like meditate, like you're trying to meditate good. <laughs> well, or like um, a year ago, I climbed the diamond on mm -hmm. Rocky Mountain National Park. And that day, uh, a couple things went wrong with my preparation. Uh, the main thing that went wrong with my preparation was I didn't realize that when I read the route description that there was there were pitches before the route description. Oh. Like, it's like basically like approach pitches below it. Yeah. And so I neglected to understand that there was a gonna be a glacier at the bottom. So Noah and I, I mean we hustled, we left the car at two thirty in the morning and we got to the bottom of that glacier at four thirty in the morning. Like we hauled. <laughs> it's like I can't believe how fast we got there, but I was in shape. I had trained for it. Um, I was acclimated for three weeks at altitude. 
So we were ready. You guys stayed there. We were ready to crush, and we crushed on that approach hike. So we're at the bottom of the glacier, though, and, and we don't have crampons. We don't have ice axes. And, uh, and the thing is just solid ice. It's pitch black out at 4.30 in the morning. We didn't think, we didn't plan to get there at 4.30 in the morning. We planned to get there at 5.30 when there was going to be some light. Yeah. Um, and I ended up having to use my nut tool to chop steps. And then even then it was like real sketch. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was frustrating. It, it then took like an hour and a half to two hours to get up over the glacier. And we had seven parties pass us. Wow. So we went from being first on route to being eighth on route. And uh, yeah, not a good play. So we spent a lot of time hanging out at Belay's. Yeah, just yeah. waiting for other parties. Yeah, just waiting for other parties. So we topped out, um, not the route, I don't know we topped out the route. We hit the top of Long's Peak at 9.30 p.m. Wow. <laughs> so that was like a long day. Yeah, that's a long day. Yeah, so we topped out at 9.30. And um, our original plan was we were going to go down the cables route, which is what most people do. Um, yeah. But I'd never done that before. So this is where the audio screwed up. We pick up talking about the hike down from the keyhole. Oh, well, we get to the top at 9.30 at night of Long's Peak, and we're out of water. We'd been out of water, and we're out of food. We'd been out of food. Like, we we did... In no way did we ever think we were going to still be on the mountain at that time. Yeah. We left the car at 2.30 in the morning, and we were thinking we were going to be back to the car at 3 in the afternoon or something. And you're prepared to maybe have a 24-hour day almost aren't you i mean we were prepared for a 12-hour day i mean like that <laughs> but like at this day. point at this point yeah that's what it's looking like yeah and then the route finding getting down in the dark um was a little bit challenging for a while and, um yeah so we ended up we didn't get back to the car till 4 30 in the morning the next day so it's a 26 hour day out on that hike out, um, both Noah and I hallucinated. I mean, it it was pretty wild. I've never hallucinated before. So, um, <laughs> hiking along, and it's just like you see this rock covered in black moths, and they're all like flipping their wings and like doing all kinds of stuff. And it's like, whoa! I've never seen anything like that. This was like I didn't realize I was hallucinating yet. Yeah. Um, and then I went and I touched the rock, and they all just disappeared. I was like, like, that's weird. (laughs) And then like a minute later, I see this pile of silver skulls by the side of the trail. And I'm like, okay, I know that's not real. So like, I was like, I was like, okay, I understood that, that I was hallucinating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So in, when I did this 350 mile race this year, I was like, okay, the only other time I've ever done an effort that lasted more than 24 hours. Yeah. And this one's going to last me more than 30. The only other time I did that, I hallucinated. So I went into the event expecting to hallucinate. And um, when I got to the, I didn't hallucinate. What was it like? Um, And so when I didn't hallucinate, it actually was a little bit of a letdown. It was like I was scared of what was going to happen, hallucinating while I'm riding a bike in the middle of the night by myself on a dirt road like I was so scared of that happening 
but I was also disappointed when it didn't happen because I was kind of expecting it. Yeah. So that goes to this whole thing of like, you know, sort of, even if it's subconscious trying to like make these experiences happen that aren't part of your present moment. Like you should just be present in the present moment instead of trying to like chase these past experiences. So it's like another one of those reminders to just, mm-hmm. just be present and now, and then you'll be that way you're available when these these moments and experiences come to you. Yeah, those experiences only make themselves available to you if you're present to them. Right. Which is kind of, it's like a... Not chasing something else. Right. Yeah. So, and that, I had this, I had a similar experience when I was sport climbing uh, at the Red River Gorge. And, yeah, it was like after that, I fell in love with sport climbing because of that experience. So it was similar. And it was like, at first I was trying to chase that experience a bit and now I've just kind of settled in that if I'm present with the climbs then that experience is going to become available yeah I mean on a much like more reduced level the same thing happens like if you're trying to chase a runner's high it's like sometimes you go out for like a training run or a training ride and it's like you hit that sweet spot where your heart rate's at the the right thing for the right duration and you come back and you feel that like euphoria and you're like floating around your house like dancing like with nobody around yeah. afterwards um, you get that runner's high yeah but like if you go out for a run because you want the runner's high you're hosed yeah like it's just gonna be you're just gonna be suffering it's like, gonna be a suffering you suffer know fest. because because it doesn't work that way yeah yeah, I've been slowly, slowly realizing that with a lot of things, especially with climbing and climbing easier terrain, really trying to be present with like the process of climbing well on easier terrain and like mm-hmm. enjoying climbing when it's like lower grade, especially in the gym. Yeah. And so because you're coaching, you're probably doing a lot of that, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yeah. And it's like if, if I'm not present with it, I can't. I can't uh, align with their experience because mm. if I'm like really present to it, I can kind of, I can kind of feel what it would be like to climb it, like as them. Does that make sense? Yeah. If I'm not present to it, it's like I'm just getting through the climb, and if the climb's like easier for me, it's like there's no point in me doing yeah. that. The um, my biggest mentor ice climbing is a climber. His name is Andreas Marin, and he. Um, I mean, he's done first descents in Alaska and the Himalaya and like all kinds of places. He's incredible. Um, he was like placing in the like podi- podiuming. Is that a word? Podiuming? It is now. In the World Cup comps for mixed climbing for wow. years and stuff. Um, and watching him climb when he's teaching is incredible because he's on easy terrain. I mean, like it's he doesn't need a rope for like the stuff he's doing and the climber he is, you know, he's, but he's up there and he's like, so like quiet and like so thoughtful. And you see him looking for creative movements. It's like, Oh, here's a place where I can, I can throw my ice tool into the ice, take my hand off of it, shuffle my feet with intention and then mantle on the ice tool like it was like I'm mantling in rock climbing. And it's like just looking for like that creative 
deliberate movement and just being at peace with it and just seeing him do that again and again. He, like I've seen him do that with me, but I've seen him do it with others. It's just like, that is, that is really cool. He would make like a climb that didn't look like something look like something. It's almost like he's creating, uh, he's, Oh, he's in the new experience every time he does it. Like, he's letting that experience be new to him every time. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, sometimes if I go out for a a recovery ride, like, I'm intentionally trying to keep my heart rate below a threshold. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's climbing in a way, like it's a recovery day. Since it's a recovery day, he needs to keep his, I don't know that he's doing this, but it's almost like he needs to keep his heart rate below a threshold, so he's going to have to move slower. Mm Mm-hmm. And to keep to keep it under that threshold, and so like the challenge then becomes, can I do this climb without elevating my heart rate? Yeah, or something. You know, I mean, maybe he's doing that. Maybe he isn't. I mean, but. that's like with the same way with like aerobic rock climbing, just climbing. You know, so smooth that you're you're never at a lack of oxygen. You're always right. like in control of your breath and and climbing deliberately and climbing slow enough and resting off if you're if you're starting to elevate your heart rate so he's he probably is similar to that he's he's trying to get through it with the least resistance as possible yeah and then he's also i've seen him out there climbing on days where he's like doing the same climb with clients but he has a a giant pack on and it's full of pitons (laughs) <laughs> just like clearly like today he needs to get his training in but he has to guide too yeah <laughs> so he's going to carry 60 pounds in his pack yeah that's it while he climbs that might be something that um that's a good idea like climbing outside uh if i'm like out climbing with someone i'm coaching and i'm like putting up climbs for them that day or just like scouting stuff out and hanging draws and stuff like that like to wear yeah well i mean i occasionally like i'll teach the occasional person trad climbing i don't do it very often because it's like a real like it it takes time it's an investment Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're if you're climbing five four stuff um it's like yeah i'll climb in my tevas Mm -hmm. i'll lead in my tevas yeah it's like because then it's like then it's real you like top roping in your sandals, whatever. But like if you're leading and you're in your sandals yeah. and you don't have that like <laughs> foot control, like, yeah, it makes it like, okay, I actually do have to pay attention right. or I could, or I could fall. And I'm not sure I want to fall on this like low angle thing <laughs> with chicken heads all over that are <laughs> like at a minimum bruise me bad. Yeah. It'd be a tumble so, fest if you fell. Yeah. So doing things to like force good footwork and good presence. Yeah, I've done that. I did a barefoot climb once in Arkansas. Oh wow, I've not done barefoot. It was interesting. It was like it, of course, made my feet. I was surprised at how fast my feet got tender. I was gonna say, like, it probably took two climbs and my feet were already like really tender. I bet. I used to barefoot run. Yeah, how was that? And. Um, I mean, it's amazing once you have your calluses built up, but like when you first start, it's like I go half a mile and my feet were trashed. Do you try to climb or you try to run on grass or was it all terrain? Oh, no, it'd be, it'd be, uh, it'd be just outside my house here. So it'd be like sidewalks and asphalt. Ooh. 
So especially the asphalt, it's hard when you don't have the calluses yet. Yeah. Um, and the impact. I is... mean, eventually there's no impact um, because with when you're barefoot running, well, there is there could be impact, but like if you're landing on your heel barefoot running, like you, you just don't because it hurts. Right. So you land on your on the ball of your foot. Right. So you're, you, it changes almost changes the more your, natural. Changes your stride a lot. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like I would go away on vacation for two weeks in the summer. You're doing lots of swimming and stuff, and then you come back and it's like, oh yeah, I'm not going to go run three miles today. Yeah. Because I don't have calluses. I can only. I'm back to only running half a mile. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like eventually I got sick of that yeah. because it was like I have to keep starting over. And rebuilding. And rebuilding. Once you have the calluses built up, you can run on hot asphalt. Yeah. Or you can run in the winter on cold asphalt. It would be. Um, and it's kind of. It's kind of incredible the way the body adapts. I really loved it. That is, yeah, for sure. And how quickly it adapts too. Like when you can, when you continuously do something over mm. and over again, and you kind of force your body to adapt to it quickly. Right. I really like uh, running like at Loose Park, like in the grass. Like running all around the trees and stuff through the grass. Okay. That's really nice to do barefoot because it's like, of course, not as hard. Yeah. I, ru I run in the Vibram Five Fingers now because I like the um, I like the feeling of the barefoot running. I just And the toes are spread. The right? toes are spread so you're a little more stable. You have like a little more like balance control and stuff. But, yeah. Um, and also like you have that forefoot strike, yeah. um, the heel strike. Right. Um, you feel actually, you can feel quite a bit through those. I mean, the, it's only two millimeters is right. the thickness of the, yeah, I've the worn, bottom of those. So you, you have a pretty good feel for things still. I used to have a pair of those and like, yeah, stepping on a rock. You definitely still feel you it. You definitely feel it. Um, I mean, one of my favorite things about the barefoot running was how quiet it was. Because you just, you can run completely silently. It freaks people out. Like if you come up behind somebody, they won't hear you and like <laughs> scare them. <laughs> but um uh yeah i did i did like that what's uh what's kind of your next after that big goal with ice climbing where where's what's next for for you what are you working on well i'm going to squamish this weekend nice up in uh, british columbia so i've not been there before that I know, I only know Squamish from the bouldering. It's some of the best bouldering in the in the world. Right, and I don't know bouldering very well, because um, I'm more, you know, I have this like more mountain aspect to right. the way I I just think of things. Right. Um. So, bouldering is fun, but I don't know what's there bouldering wise. But there's there's all kinds of classic lines up there, crack climbs, multi yeah. climbs. There's one climb called Boogie Till You Poop. <laughs> it's up there. Oh, that that was a popular video, right? The guy that crapped himself. Yeah, and, get, like, got up. stuck in the crack. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's on, that's the route there. Didn't they change the name of it or something because of that video? Wasn't it like Boogie Till You something? And then that... I think it was something else, but I don't remember what the something else was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that video, man. What are you talking? <laughs> He's like dry heaving and yeah. his friends at the bottom are like trying to be supportive, but it's also so funny. Yeah. Um, so I get that and I'm going to Puerto Chico in October. Nice. So 
multi-pitch sport yeah nice um, do you have any like main goals out there or climbs that you want to do um i've been so busy that i haven't looked that far ahead <laughs> it's kind of like i know it's going to be amazing whatever we do mm-hmm. um but I, I don't actually have like any particular thing circled right i think um, that's a fun way to go into a new spot like not really have like a list but just go and just see what looks see what unfolds or, yeah see what looks epic see what like kind of makes your stomach a little nervous yeah and i'm not sure who else is on that trip either um so i'm also um willing to defer to other people sometimes there can be too many cooks in the kitchen mm. you know with some of that so I'm just kind of like chill and see it's yeah. not like you know ice climbing I can be a lot more driven be like okay this is my plan this is the thing um, but it's like more and, laid back and but even this year like I don't have that I don't have that ice climbing list it's kind of um, one of the things about climbing Bridal Vale Falls is it, it leaves a little bit of like oh what now because um, I've been looking at that one for so long mm-hmm. um I haven't led Ames Ice Hose yet. I followed it a couple of years ago. Um, it's another super classic, I mean, super inspiring line. And sometimes people are like, what do you see in ice climbing? Like, like, how could that be? Like, why would you even want to do that? Just like, if you see climbs like Ames Ice Hose, <laughs> it's just like you, you just like look and there's this mountain that's like a long ways away and there's a line that goes up it. I mean, it's like when you walk up to, I mean, even a boulder or, or like Indian Creek, like you walk up and there's like, like there's crack. a, there's a perfect crack. It's like, you see the line. It's not like, Oh, I think there's a hole. There's a crimp off to the left. I can kind of see this wiggly line in my brain. Yeah. Because I'm highly trained at looking at this stuff and know what I'm looking at. Yeah. I mean, like you walk up to a mountain and you see a frozen cascade um, it's just it's incredible and sometimes the color of the ice too will get you there's a climb called Stairway to Heaven in Eureka Canyon mm. I saw it the first time that first multi-pitch that I did back there um, and I was like we walk in there's a snowstorm look up and, and off to the right there's this like staircase like staircase where the steps are 50 feet high mm. um it goes up 800 feet and it's turquoise whoa everything else I mean it's, it's the sky is gray there's white falling from the sky there's white on the ground because it's snowing and it's winter and then the rock is all like gray and the, the trees are kind of like this green gray color because the sun's not out and you look up you see 800 foot tall turquoise <laughs> like a... line on the side of this mountain I mean, it just looks like this jewel that's, that has light emanating from inside of it. Yeah. Just like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, that's stairway to heaven. It's like, no wonder. It's like, I want to climb that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so eventually I did get to climb that, but it's just like, how is that real? Yeah. It's like when you see pictures of Banff up in Canada where like the lakes are that turquoise color. Yeah. 
It, it doesn't, doesn't look, look real. real. It's like it's clearly Photoshop. No, it's not Photoshop. It's really that it's color. Really that color. Yeah. And so sometimes you see ice though that color. I you're I just, could, you're just like yeah. It doesn't. Once you see it, you can't help but want to climb it. Right. I could see getting inspired by it because, like you said, it, it's it's rare for like a perfect ice feature to like be consistently there. Hmm. Isn't it? Like a perfect one. Like a Yeah, there are climbs. There are climbs on my list. I was like, oh, I don't know what's next, but like actually there are climbs that I've been longing to do. Mm-hmm. The last but they're not always in. So there's a climb called the ribbon um, outside of Uray up on Camp Bird Road. I wanted to do that since I first started leading ice. But it's like not consistently available? Yeah, so it's under an avalanche bowl. That's usually the problem. <laughs> oh my god! Because if the, I mean, avalanche conditions have to be perfect because you don't want to get caught in an avalanche. Yeah. Um, so, but then last year, I thought, oh well, or was it this last? Year? No, this last year there was a ton of snow. The year before, uh, there was no snow. It was a weird, dry winter out in Colorado. So I was like, all right. Hot diggity. I'm finally going to get to go out and climb the ribbon. Mm-hmm. Three pitches. And it sounds just, or it looks just like it sounds. It's like this narrow little runnel of ice that climbs up hundreds of feet. Whoa. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like you look at it and you're just like, wow. Um, anyway, I thought I was going to get to climb it. There isn't going to be avalanche problem. I get there. Oh, in fact, there's so little moisture that the ice didn't form. Oh, damn. <laughs> so it's dry. Damn it. Yeah. So that's... And uh, just next to it, there's a, a mixed climb called Bird Brain Boulevard. Mm-hmm. It is one of like the Jeff Lowe classic masterpiece climbs. You see it in um, books. There's like this... There's this book called... Uh, 50 favorite climbs or something like that. Um, probably have that somewhere over here too. Is that like uh, all mixed or? Oh, yeah. There's like this 50 favorite climbs book by Mark Kroos. Mm-hmm. And it's like, most of this is rock climbs, but some of it's alpine climbs and it's all North American stuff. And like Bird Brain Boulevard is one of these climbs. Um, oh, so here's a picture. We, I don't know. Do you have like show notes on your... Yeah, I can put I can put you links. Show like a picture like I mean this is the ribbon. Bird Brain Boulevard is over here next to it. And it's a mixed climb. It's M6. It has like this massive gnarly roof up high. And <laughs> um, But it's not also not climbable if there's no ice. <laughs> so there has to, to be ice in like certain spots in order to get through those spots. It seems like and the conditions been, for that have to be perfect. Yeah, so it's been dry the last few years. Um Probably not this past year, but this past year, avalanche conditions were terrible. Yeah. So. That's a big part of it then. Is that like really hard? Because I mean, people are very, people can be very fair weather when it comes to bouldering and sport climbing. Like the conditions are, and it makes sense for really hard, like pushing the envelope climbs because sometimes they do need to be perfect conditions. But it seems like for ice climbing, like literally sometimes the conditions have to be almost perfect just for you to be able to like access it or even do it yeah especially with the avalanche danger thing um that's a safety situation and yeah 
I have kids. I, I can't mess around with the safety stuff. So. And like you said, like like daggers like hanging that could fall if it's a little bit too warm. Right. Yeah. Or too cold. If there's a, a cold snap, that's actually worse than if it's warm. If it's warm, like you can swing, your tool will get into the ice and it's not a problem. But if it's really cold, especially if there was just a cold snap yeah, right before you get up there, the ice is brittle. And if it just changed temperature, you know how water expands and contracts as it changes temperature. Uh, I mean, stuff will shatter and fracture and, and stuff. So, huh. yeah, you have to be real aware of like what's not just the weather now. Not just how the weather's going to unfold over the course of the day, like if there's a snowstorm moving in. Yeah. But also, like, what has the weather done for the last week before so, I get on this? Because like, then that shows you, like, because that tells you, how, like, some of how stable that ice is. Or is yeah. And if it's been like shocked like that, yeah. or interest. So there's a lot of like, how much research do you put into a climb before you attempt it? Um, it depends. Out in Ure, I know. I know the climbs pretty well, and I know enough people out there, or like the um, San Juan Mountain Guides, mm -hmm. they're like always super friendly, like you can walk in, because they're out there like every day, they have guides in all these different places, they know yeah. what's what, so um, you can be like, hey, what are the conditions like here, or there, or the other place? Yeah. Um, and they can give you... And they can, they can be like, oh yeah, well, I mean, this year there's a lot of... Um, it's unusually unusual amount of like loose rock at the top of this particular one. So you need to be off the climb by 11 a.m. Wow. Because at 11 a.m. The, the sun gets on it. And then when it starts start. melting and starts releasing rock. So you'd be yeah. like, okay, I can't. That one, like, if we're going to do it, we got to get up at, you know, crack it on. Yeah, we got to start before early. We got to start before early <laughs> yeah. um, if we're going to do that. Or Yeah. I know I know a bunch of those climbs well enough. It's like I know, okay, as long as there's less than eight inches of snow coming in today, this one's not going to avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you like that process but, of of really like figuring it out and distilling mm -hmm. it down and getting like all the information for stuff like that? Uh, usually, I mean, if I'm stressed out about other things, then no, right. obviously, like. Hard to like get in, but it is like part of the problem solving. I mean, rock climbing, ice climbing, all climbing is kind of like, like this this problem solving process that engages all of you. Yes, um, it's so like it's not just problem solving. I, so for work, I, I work on music software and mm -hmm. algorithms that run inside of guitar pedals. So you're constantly solving like that. problems. So that's solving problems, but that's using my brain. Yeah. It's not engaging my body. It's not engaging my, my like spiritual side. There's like all kinds of things. It's not engaging and rock climbing engages all those things. Um, so a lot of that research beforehand is part of that problem solving process for me. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're like healthy in the like spirit body kind of before, like as, while you're doing research, it probably feels better. Would you say that's yeah? Close? I mean, well, if you do that research beforehand, sometimes it can help you with your training mm -hmm. and with your visualization. Okay. I mean, because like, well, Bridewell Falls. I, I probably mentioned it too many times now, but it's the most recent, you know, big thing. And so, I mean, with that one, I, I did lots of visualization 
for weeks yeah. before I got there. It's so helpful. Um, well, it's not. It's helpful in the movement way, which is um, what we do a lot of work on rock climbing, right. like at the gym and stuff. But it's also really useful in terms of the route finding because it's like trad climbing. I mean, like there's no one to tell you which way to go. You need to get up there and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that falls is pretty wide. Um, and do you follow a pretty small route? Over there's on? more than one way to do it. Yeah. I mean, you could take this line or you could take that line or you, I mean, there's, so did you have your line that you like had established and figured out kind of how you wanted to do it? I had two lines picked out um, and decided, you know, when I got there what to do. Yeah. But I had those alternatives so that I knew when I got there, like, okay, if I do this, I have this option. If I go here, I have this option. I can see what the ice actually looks like right. when I'm up there standing under it. Yeah. <laughs> like, because from a distance, I can't tell how steep that is, you know, or how fragile that other thing is. Yeah. Ultimately I went with the fragile way rather than the super steep way. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was like, uh, like you had to be really technical, but it wasn't going to pump you out for the fragile um, way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so by the time I got to this section where I could go one way or the other, it was like, I was pumped out of my brains. Um, <laughs> So I went the really technical way, even though it was scary as all get out. Yeah. Traversing across this like bare rock with these like little, like couple millimeter deep things of ice to hook into. Oh. Oh. Pucker up, buddy. That's, I was just about to literally <laughs> say, that sounds like a friggin' pucker fest for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was all that. What do you feel like? Cause you, your breadth of experience is getting pretty vast, like pretty broad. Mm. What's like, is there anything that you haven't done that you're really interested in doing as far as like adventure climbing or adventure like racing goes? Oh, for sure. I mean, so I've, I've only done one big wall and, um, it's hard to find big wall partners in Kansas city. Mm-hmm. In case you didn't notice, it's not really a big wall destination. Yeah. Um, so in my climbing partner that I had for the big wall that I did two years ago, we did space shot out in Zion. Um, Noah, he, he moved to Colorado. So, you know, it's, it's like, I don't have him here to train with. And for someone to like get ready for a big wall is a serious commitment. Yeah. You know, it's not just the training takes a lot of training, but then also like there's lots of skills that yeah. have to be done. Lots of rope work, lots of like anchor management. Cause there's just like, there's so much going on. Yeah. Um, so I have like, there are big walls I want to do. Lots of big walls I want to do. Yeah. Um, and also there's Alaska. So I was wanting to go to Alaska before I turned 40 and climb. I missed that mark. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but Noah and I tentatively have planned that we're going to go to Alaska in a year and a half. Awesome. So that's a year and a half is a while out. And that's going to be ice or mixed? Yes. Both? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple of routes on the moose's tooth that I really want to do. One's cool. called ham and eggs. It's 
a classic. And then it was shaken, not stirred. They're both nice. like super classic. Is Alaska many, gen- many, many pitches, but long climbs, long climbs, nice um, mixed and ice pitches on both of those. You camp on the Ruth Gorge Glacier. Sweet. Is that a newer area, or has that been established for a while? I mean, it's been established for a while. I don't... Ham and Eggs, the first ascent. Um, I can't remember the entire crew. John Krakauer was one of the first ascensionists mm. on that route. A lot of people would know him. He wrote... Um, he wrote Into Thin Air. He yep. wrote Into the Wild. Super good. He wrote... Um, my favorite of his things he wrote, actually, is this, this book called Iger Dreams. Which oh, wait. Into the Void? Not into the void. He didn't do it. No, that was um, I think Joe Simpson is the name of that author. And then what was the one you just said? So anyway, the author of Into the Void, like the stuff he wrote about Bridal Falls, is like that gave me some pause. He like him writing he, about how um, he did it sketchy, didn't he? I don't know, but he he made it sound absolutely terrifying, and I was like, well, if that dude is scared completely out of his brains like yeah what am I gonna do I mean that helps actually for me to like go through and visualize being scared on these climbs when we talk about visualization yeah. with Bridalvale Falls I did that like I read his stuff and it was like okay I'm scared out of my mind like cause better climbers than me <laughs> have all gone up there and gotten like completely freaked out yeah um, or with um, when I did the big wall like I we knew who was going to lead what pitch before we went, mm-hmm. like weeks before we went. And I knew I had the crux pitch. <laughs> and uh, and I'd read stuff, people being like, yeah, I can climb C4 in Yosemite and I do great. The grades, I mean, aid climbing, C4 is like clean. Um, four is like wicked hard. Um, but when I go to Zion and it's C2, I fall every single time. And I'm kind of like, well, this is my first big wall. This route C2 or C2 plus. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, crap. I'm going to fall for sure. So what's the fall going to be like? <laughs> you know? And then um, Andy Kirkpatrick, I don't know if you know that name. He's a big waller. Does solos a lot of big walls. Okay. Um, really hard ones. So, like, I'd go read his chapter about, like, falling a hundred feet is all his gears ripping out along the way oh. and just try to put myself in his shoes. Okay. What's this like falling a hundred feet with my gear ripping out as I go. So when I got there and I fell cause one of my pieces of gear ripped out, um, it was okay. Yeah. I got back on and I fell again, got back on and I fell again. Yeah. Um, is it easy? Like I still like at the beginning of the pitch was like stopped and meditated. Yeah. I would, actually, I pulled out my phone at the bottom of that crux pitch on Space Shot. I was like, okay, I'm gonna meditate here for just a moment. Like, and uh, I pulled out my phone to bring up the Headspace app. It's like I do a little guided meditation or whatever. Yeah. Here um, as I leave the anchor, and I was like, oh, there's no, there's no service. It doesn't work unless you have a phone connection. Yeah. So I just like breathe and like, you know, reset myself. Yeah. And actually at Bridal Bell Falls, after I got across that delicate section yeah. that I had mentioned, pulled up on top of the cauliflower and stood there hands-free rest, plug in an ice screw, and I just stopped. And I actually meditated for 10 minutes Wow! in the middle of a pitch. 
because I needed to reset. Yeah. I mean, I needed to, I, I needed to breathe and I needed to reset both. Yeah. Um, I could see from there that the climbing was going to be a lot easier, but even if, even with the climbing being easier, I needed, I needed to take that. Man, I can stop. I completely understand that because I've had climbs that, um, if, when I didn't reset before the last easy section and I was like amped up, like you can blow it. Right. Like, Cause you're just so gripped and like, you're just like in that, like kind of aggressive, not really aggressive, but like, Oh, in this case it could be aggressive. I mean, yeah. I, had, I had two climbers with me on the climbing trip this past winter, on two different climbs where it was like, you get through like, section like that and like I'm blowing from the top and they're coming up and you just hear this happened to both of them and they were yeah. like you hear me like, <gasps> like 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 really verbally like grunting and just like letting out this sound like <gasps> and you yeah. hear the ice chunk yeah. as their ice tool sinks in and then like <gasps> <gasps> like screaming as they like yeah. throw the ice tool into the ice yeah. I mean because it's like at a certain point like it's taking everything Right, you know, and when you, and when you just got done giving everything, like gotta come back for a second to. Yeah, but fun. I was on lead, so like <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't afford to be in that place. Right, I, I needed to be in control. Yeah. So you were able to center, and then the last part was like pretty, it went pretty well, like went pretty smooth. Yeah, I mean the last, the third pitch. Uh, think mountain project mountain project is a little bit hilarious on this route you know i mean it's like hit or miss with mountain project yeah um, you know it's like oh it's the glory wi4 pitch because everything else has been like five plus or six minus yeah this is a four (laughs) like yeah but um uh i mean i I was so tired that it it was hard still yeah It's, it's like when you've been when you've had a climbing session at the gym and you've been climbing for two hours and you decide to do like burnouts at the end or something just to up get on an audible and go up and down until you until failure yeah that's kind of how I felt the last pitch was this was like oh oh my goodness yeah you could just feel the fatigue yeah you just feel the fatigue in every part of your body yeah um, but I mean I don't mind that feeling because at that point that feeling is satisfying. Yeah, I feel like you're pretty, like, so. it seems like you can sit in that feeling pretty well. Probably better than a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I have the experience of all the, like, long bike races where it's like, okay, I've been sitting on this bicycle seat for 13 hours, and my butt hurts, and my back hurts, and my neck hurts from holding my head up, and my hands are numb feet are in agony from swelling inside my shoes yeah yeah so like when you get to climbing it's just um, a little more of the same (laughs) the discomfort (laughs) is different but it all kind of feels yeah like you've been there somewhere i read online this article it's like the benefits of discomfort or something i can't remember who wrote that or where i found it i don't even remember exactly what it said but just like there is some benefit to like I mean have you putting ever, ourselves in this like this setting of discomfort I believe it because of the days that I just like am comfy all day it doesn't feel great yeah well it feels great for a day 
for me, I didn't, it might, might even feel great to be completely comfy for a couple of days. For me, I have but, to have exerted to like be able to be yeah comfy I mean, for a couple of days. Yeah, I need to, I need to be pretty like spent yeah to like enjoy that. Right. But then it, it doesn't take long before I start feeling the grass growing under my feet. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> if you don't get that sense of adventure, you start feeling like bent up inside. And it's, yeah. Like push down. That's how I feel. Yeah, it's just like a caged bird. <laughs> yeah, I literally have said, like a bird that has its wings clipped. Like, that's how I feel if I don't get outside. And like, not just get outside, but, because it is different. In Kansas City, there there is like some pretty things to do outside, but it's hard to get that like sense of adventure. Right. And I think that's like pretty necessary for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it becomes a spiritual practice. People are like, well, what point is climbing? It's just like pointless. No, it's not pointless. I mean, like everybody has a spiritual practice not everybody has one, but like, they you know, should, but throughout probably. history, like people have spiritual practices and they have them for a reason. Right. And like climbing, regardless of like what you believe is behind it all, um, you know, it is a real spiritual activity. Yeah. I feel like if you let it, so. if you let it be yeah. like spiritual, it is. Yeah. True. Cause I think it's easy to, it's easy to put it in a box or like make it a different experience. Sure. But where else are you engaging all of yourself? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, if you, if you're engaging a hundred percent of all of yourself, like not just spiritually, but mentally and emotionally and physically, yeah. uh, I mean, there's gonna be transcendent experience. Yeah. If you put yourself there a lot. Right. And I think that's still why I love it so much because it's, for me, it's not about, for me, it's just about like continuous, like improvement and like getting better and just having something to aim at and uh trying to not be so focused on grades and be about it more for the experience right um and like grades are a great way to measure improvement but yeah i mean so grades yeah i don't care about grades in the same way that i don't care like i don't have a like plaque on my wall with my degrees or what like i don't care about that stuff i never cared about i never cared about grades in school which drove my teachers nuts i cared about like learning stuff right um, the grades are nice though because they if you can climb at a higher grade then it opens up more adventures right so like that's really my for me at least grades are helpful that way like if you can't climb 510 then you can't go climb the diamond right so for a long time for me it was like I want to be confident on 510s outdoors because I want to climb the diamond and yeah it, and then, or things like the diamond. I mean, there's not a lot of things in the world like the diamond, but you know, um, for the me, same thing. If I could, if I could, if I could up my grade so that I'm more confident on 11, for me to go outside and climb an 11, it's got to be like the right style. The things have to be right. That's to like line up pretty well. Yeah, so line up pretty well. Or I mean, like there's a couple of 11s at Cliff Drive that I can I can climb pretty much every time now but it's like because i know them i've done so many laps on them and right. they're not really like 11 difficulty anymore right um so 
I'd like to be more confident on 11s because that opens up like this whole other, there's like stuff in the Black Canyon and the Gunnison that I can yeah. climb. Or so many more climbs. So many more options. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my, mine is like, if the more experience, the more breadth of knowledge I have, I feel like the more people I can help hmm. improve. So it's like I I can the more people I can coach if I just have like more experience on more terrain, more different styles of climbing, like difficult climbing, like all across the board. Just because like I yeah. The more experience you have. Right. Hopefully some of that will turn into wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Cause I'd be like, what do you think what would be your definition of wisdom? Um, I mean, a lot of time I don't, I, so I haven't evaluated this question in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I have always relied on the wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. Right. So if you have lots of knowledge, it's useless unless you know how and when and where to apply that knowledge. Yeah. But I, I'm questioning that definition. Um, I haven't like really thought about it real deeply, but like I feel like there should be in that definition more observation built into it. Like, like wisdom could be the ability to see things um, that other people don't see. I, there's this definition of creativity that I really love, and I don't remember where it came from, but where it it talks about an artist Mm -hmm. seeing something that everybody else has seen, but thinking something different about it. Yeah. So it's like, see what others have seen and and to have a different thought. um, I feel like there's something about wisdom that's like that. That's like where you can, you can see through whatever's on the surface to what's behind it. Yeah. I've always uh, recently I've thought like uh, knowledge lived is kind of wisdom, mm. which was more like my first definition. Yeah, um, which is which I think is like good, it's pretty valid. Um, but but it, I've been sensing that there's there's something with some more like depth or texture to it. There um, is there's that room I could for lean like. Into. Yeah, there's room for like other perspectives like are important or like your perspective on the experience is also important too. Yeah. It's like it's like uh knowledge lived through like present experience is maybe like the Yeah, or maybe it's just a skill that feeds into wisdom is like you have to have the knowledge if you're going to apply it. Right. But you also have to be able to see a situation um, for what it is and not what it appears to be. Yeah, you have to take the layers off of it. Just see it. Yeah. Like, true sight. Exactly. Seeing. And so I think maybe that's like just something that I, I'm working on. Yeah. Or Hopefully we all are working on that. I, I know surprisingly few people that work on that actively. Yeah. For me, it's, it feels, it makes things feel 
it makes life feel a little bit more meaningful because then other people's perspectives are become more important because it's like they because they're a different person they know something that I don't yeah so they have something they can share I mean it applies to music too so in my backgrounds in music all my degrees are in music yeah my job is based in music but like if you're jamming with a group of people um, something I've really become more and more aware of as I um, get older (laughs) (laughs) is that um, we don't need more people playing what we need is more people listening Mm. it's like in that group setting I, I actually play a lot less now than I used to I do a lot more listening and just trying to find like what what is the perfect little like thing I can just add just a little like spice or just, just a little, a little just a little like little line here that just like emerges and disappears um, and the, the listening is the, the thing yeah because then it's like the power and you're like in the present moment just like throwing in your feeling and you're not like trying to like be the best player right and so like this this like idea of like can I see what the situation is like what it really is not what it appears to be or can I hear it or it's just like basically like it's like a meditation type thing where you're like you're trying to be present you're trying to like I love doing like sound meditations where it's like sit down I'm out in the mountains and just like how many layers can I hear? How many different kinds of birds? Okay, and then there's the waterfall, which is very slightly different than the, like the distant traffic noise versus the plane that's flying overhead versus the wind in the trees. They're all like kind of white noise-ish, but they're, but they're not. They're all these layers. How, how many layers deep can I hear? And can I separate layers? And can yeah. I like, yeah, I like doing that too when I'm outside in nature, just trying to like quiet it and then like bring stuff in slowly yeah. and then doing that visually mm-hmm. or like same thing like with the body scan when you're like trying to feel like can I feel every single vertebra in my back if I just like focus on them one at a time yeah like <laughs> yeah, can, can I soften like the cartilage in between each one or like it's not really softening the cartilage but like whatever muscles are around it can right I, like, yeah I think that's good too about because I think that shows like a a good teacher because I think a high a high level of understanding of something gives you more it gives you more opportunity to pause like if you just let yourself like sit and just listen or just like let somebody like if I'm watching somebody climb or like coaching them like a lot of times me just like being there as a as support and not really trying to like be in their experience at all but just being there is like a presence to their experience and so is it is that hard for you like i would admit like i could imagine for a lot of people at least um there's some pressure to be like okay well i'm being paid to instruct and teach so like i have to have something really profound to say right all the time that that um, and, uh, yeah and so like, then you feel pressure trying to come up with the thing that you're gonna say that's gonna like m- make you feel like they feel like they're getting value <laughs> for what they're paying you for but then you might 
miss something because you weren't present because you're like going through the things in your head. I think you're you miss, trying to you miss everything. Yeah, because like I, that's something I've been improving on more and more as I've taught. Is like they and if you taught if you taught music, yeah, a lot of times they're just paying for you to be there. Is like they're paying for you to listen. Yeah, they're paying for your presence to be there as support because the your listening is like powerful like well and like part of what works about therapy is that you're paying somebody a hundred dollars an hour to be there with you yeah yeah fully but like when i was younger and teaching music is like (laughs) i just feel like oh i have to have something profound to say (laughs) about like this music that they were there's like okay they're working on this like string quartet or this symphony or something and like sometimes I would have something I'd just get excited and have things to say and sometimes I'd be like what am I going to say like I don't like I don't even understand this <laughs> yeah I think that's what's so interesting about the human brain is that we we live up here in our head so much mm that a lot of times with teaching and we feel like we need something to share when us just being there is enough. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you know the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the Enneagram, I mean, people listening probably don't know. It's like this, like, I don't know the whole history of it, but it's like one of these personality, like mapping things. It, it has like a lot of it comes from astrology. I mean, it basically, um, it's like, thought it was separate from that it's like there's nine personality types in it but like each one has like they can lean one way or another with these like wings but then like the thing that's i think one of the things that's more interesting about it than others is like it has this sense of like depth and growth like you could be this personality type but like if you're like lower functioning or higher functioning it's going to have different traits and in times of stress you might like lean towards one of these other personality types anyway um my Enneagram type is a five uh-huh. and it's like the fives like biggest fear is to be like found out that you don't know something like that you're incompetent in your knowledge. Yeah. And so like, I have to battle that. Um, Cause that's like being in that not knowing is like the most exciting thing. Yeah. In reality. Mm hmm. Cause that's like where growth happens. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I could see that being a battle for sure. Yeah. So you have to be like, especially when I was younger, I'd be like, Oh, I always have to pretend I know the answer even if I don't. Yeah. Or otherwise I feel insecure. Right. Um, and that's like, what is your Enneagram type? I just you know? know astrologically, uh, like sun sign Leo is what I am. So Enneagram type, I'm not sure, but astrologically like, expression is very important to me um i'm kind of just up to like shining and like through being present like through me expressing my experience it can help other people so realizing that and teaching it's like i don't like me being there is enough i don't have to add anything to that yeah so if i'm present maybe i will have something to say maybe there isn't anything to say Maybe I just need to shut up and just let them climb and be supportive. Uh, so I think really settling into that, I don't know Enneagram-wise what I yeah. would be, but 
probably one of the I mean that being present is part of like I mean with your coaching like I mean part of that is building that relationship with the people you're coaching for sure so like some of that's just takes time it's yeah and so I mean it's really interesting to me um when John Adams and Benjamin Franklin went to France to try and get money to finance the Revolutionary War, yeah, I was like, John Adams, like he was like all wanting to get all of these, um, like he's like, we got to get stuff done, we got to do things, do things, do things. And Benjamin Franklin's just out like partying all the time, <laughs> and uh, and he'd be like, why don't you do any work? And Benjamin Franklin'd be like, this is the work. Yeah. We have to build these relationships and then we'll gain access to like what really matters in the people and be able to like inspire them to help us. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and it was like, Oh, the first time, cause my personality type, especially when I was younger was more towards the John Adams side. And I was like, that was like, Oh, cause that, what he did actually, worked you know and we got the money from the french government and totally all that you know it was like and i've been to france a few times so like i saw that that's how kind of the french people tend to work you know it's like okay i get that that's the thing i have to work on yeah i have to chill right <laughs> not be like wound so tight all the time yeah and that's something that i've been slowly learning and now that, that's what was hard with uh climbing team because there were so many aspects to it but if i was just like if i was present and helping like all the kids that just like needed my help and just like being myself that was enough yeah but it's really easy like with competition and like big goals to add these extra layers on top of that that don't need to be there no i mean i've i mean i've i've watched you do it with with my daughter you know it's just like it kind of blew my mind at first it was like Connor's not, he's not like he's not really pushing them was like you should think about this and then they don't do it and he's like you don't get on them he's like let them figure that out yeah. and eventually they figure it out they're like oh Connor was right <laughs> you know like it might be weeks later it could be or years. it could be months later or whatever and then they get it and then they're like oh okay and then they like and then they're suddenly like after all that long slow patient time or it seemed like, is anything happening? It's like, then they're coming to you with an open heart and an open mind. Mm -hmm. And they're like thinking about things and they're like thinking through it on their own. Mm -hmm. And it's like the comp, the competition part takes care of itself. There's already like, it's already a competition mm -hmm. in a competitive environment. So <laughs> yeah. that's all taken care of. Like they don't need yeah. like anything added onto that. It's already there. Right. And that was what was so hard at first because I was constantly battling with like trying to do more, you know, when in reality, if I did less and I was just there, that's all that needed to be done. Yeah. But it's really easy to add a bunch of layers onto that and get attached to ideas of how something needs to be done. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't serve you because like we're both our own person and we know how to do us pretty well because <laughs> that's kind of what we're up to as long as you don't get attached to that either right yeah. and that's the hard thing too it's yeah. and that's like with me like tran i feel like i'm constantly transitioning like when i feel like it's time because 
I don't want to get attached to one aspect of my being. Like, I don't want to be attached to, you know, climbing coach my whole life. I don't want to be attached to climbing team my whole life. It's like, I was doing that and I feel like created like a, a healthy chamber for that. And then like moved on to trying to create something else or trying to do something else. I think for me that helps me not become so attached to identity or what I am, who I am so much. (laughs) Wow. We really went a long ways (laughs) off script. That's good. That's what I want to do. There you go. Um, But yeah, thanks. I appreciate this a lot. This is fun. This is super fun. I think everyone's always like, well, what do I need to bring? What are we going to, I'm just like, bring yourself. And that's great. And I'm glad you brought Tim. That was good. Yeah. yeah. You haven't had any ice climbers on your podcast yet. Definitely not. So that's why I was like, we'll, uh, we'll plug that hole. Yeah. Mark, check that box off. Yeah. We'll check that box. And I think it's given me a lot of awareness and I think a lot of people will be just a lot more aware of what that looks like mm. because it's not a super common thing. So yeah. And if you want to go ice climbing sometime, you should join me. I'll consider it. So. I'm still, I've taught quite a few people. It's it's very technique dependent, like yeah. crack climbing. Cool. Um, you know, you could flail around on cracks for years, and if you have a crappy technique, it's just always going to be hard. Right. And you're never going to get anywhere. But if you have the, like the right teacher, yeah, like you can progress real quick. Cool. I'm down. So, I'm, I'm down to work my way into as many different aspects as I can. There you go. Sweet. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. As always, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash condorclimbing or on Instagram at condor.climbing or my website at condorclimbing.com. Thanks, guys. Love you. Bye.